Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Parents, if you want to teach your children something before they learn their ABCs or around the time they learn their ABCs, they ought to know Ecclesiastes 12.13. What a wonderful verse to teach them and cause them to memorize. The last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. It doesn't end with a, much of a salutation or benediction or blessing. It doesn't end with, I, Solomon the preacher, greet you all. It just ends with the final judgment, and that's the end of the book. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Our brother Gerald read from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, about the great white throne judgment and the horror of that day for those whose names are not found in the book of life. No wonder Jesus looked on his disciples one day in Luke chapter 10, I believe is where you can find it. They came back to him and they said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in thy name. And he said, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And they were written there before the world began. Right. It's called the book of life because it's going to give you eternal life because your name's in it. That's a pretty nice thing to have in a will. The last will and testament of God. Everlasting life. It's called the book of life of the Lamb because He owns it. He covered it with His blood. And our names are in there and secure because the Lamb died for us. Because it's called the book of life of the Lamb slain. Because He was slain for us. It's called the book of life of the Lamb slain. And it says from the foundation of the world, but that's when you were written there. Because the Lamb was slain in the fullness of time. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The entire matter that Solomon undertook was what is the purpose and profit of man under the sun. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole thing. This is my summary finding. This is the bottom line of all that I studied and all that I observed. Here it is right here. After 60 plus lessons in wise living to maximize your life on earth, he says this is the bottom line. And it's not something that he has ignored throughout the book, but he's only hinted at it. But here it is in summary form. And you don't need a whole lot of books to learn this. The 66 books will teach you this. It's such a simple lesson. Fear God and keep His commandments. That is the conclusion of the whole matter. How do we live in the 60, 70, or 80 years, less or more, that God gives us on this planet? Fear God. Fear God. And keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You do not need to go looking elsewhere. You do not need to go reading further. This is the whole duty of man. The reason we have the Bible is to encourage us to fear the Lord. The reason we have the Bible is to find the commandments and have Him explain the commandments to us so that we can keep them. 
because the revealed things belong unto us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. This is the bottom line of a study of life. This is why I love, and I hope you do, love to ridicule any other philosophy than that of the Word of God. Because this bottom line is the correct one. Fear God and keep His commandments. We have a Creator. And the first verse of this chapter said, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. And it's that Creator that we will face again. Because when our bodies turn to dust, as verse 7 describes, our spirit returns to God. And when our spirit returns to God, we will meet our Creator. I want to read to you a verse. I want to read two verses to you from the book of Amos. Listen to these words. We're going to meet our Creator. This wasn't written to Philistines. This was written to Israelites. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. He had described horrific judgments. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Prepare to meet thy God. For, lo, he that formeth the mountains, and createth the wind, and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Amen. Amos four eleven and 12. Prepare to meet thy God. Our bodies are decaying. The older we get, the faster they decay, and then they just quit and return to dust. And our spirit returns to God, and we need to prepare to meet our God. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. While you're chasing around, building your houses and planting your vineyards, and while you're drinking with a merry heart and eating your bread and wearing white clothes and enjoying your wife and working hard with all your might, while you're doing those things, let us hear the conclusion, the bottom line of the whole thing. Fear God. Prepare to meet thy God. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I do not want to distract your mind with a lot of extraneous thoughts about what's here. You can understand those words plain enough. I have only a few things to say about the fear of the Lord and the final judgment, and I want us to go home. I want us to go home thankful for the Word of God, and we're going to delight in it. Because we had read to us from Psalm 1 that the man who delights in the Word of God is going to stand in the day of judgment, but the wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. There's going to be a great difference made. And it's not a fine line, and I have preached that to you in, in numerous messages. There is no fine line between the righteous and the wicked. It's a great difference. Do you love and fear the God of heaven, and do you love and tremble before his words, and do you keep them? The Bible tells me in Second Peter chapter 1 that if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Amen. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. Thank you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? If you do these things, 
If you'll fear God and keep His commandments, it is a win-win proposition. This bottom line is win-win. If you'll fear God and keep His commandments, you can stand confidently in the day of judgment. You can stand confidently now thinking about the day of judgment. And you can have the most blessed life while alive now. There is no downside to fearing God and keeping His commandments. Except the foolish lies that come up in our hearts from that deceitful nature we have that's based in sin and by the devil himself throwing fiery darts at our heart. There is no downside. The man who fears the Lord... Thus shall the man be blessed. Do you know what Psalm 128 sounds like? He's going to have children like olive plants round about his table. and He's a blessed man. Thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. He's blessed in this life. He's blessed in the next life. It's how you can have assurance that your name is in the book of life is because you fear God and you keep His commandments. You delight greatly in His commandments and you love His Word. If you love His Word, God had to put that love of His Word in your heart because men do not love the Word of God. None of us love the Word of God by nature. We only love the Word of God by a spiritual change in a new man. Regeneration, the power of being born again by the Holy Spirit. You can be assured of eternal life. Confidence in standing before Jesus Christ, knowing that that God is yours. He will be a father to you. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, He'll be a father to you. There is no fear of death. Death is getting planted so we can get a better body. I'd like one. It's departure of this life to get to the next life. It's far better. It's gain. Amen. Paul said he was confident right. to leave this body to be with the Lord. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. He boils the whole book down to this one statement. Let's look at his hints. Chapter 3 and verse 14. Men have poured through the book of Ecclesiastes and some have come out skeptics and atheists. Because they didn't read carefully enough. And they must not have got to the end. But really the issue is, God didn't give them a heart for it. And if you love this book and you see in it the truth of God's word and the balance of being a Christian on earth, then it's because God put it there. Right. E- Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. Amen. Chapter 5 and verse 7. I've already commented on these verses. 5-7. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers vanities. But fear thou God. Right. Chapter 7. Verse 18, I sent this one to you yesterday. 7.18, it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Take hold of it, brethren. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. Don't let go of it. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Anywhere in this world, in the next, the man that fears the Lord shall come forth of them all. Lay hold of it, and don't withdraw your hand from it. Keep a hold of this, and remember it the rest of this day as we walk out of here. Remember it tomorrow, in whatever faces you remember it through this week. He that feareth the Lord shall come forth of them all. Did Joseph come forth of them all? Did Daniel? Did David? Did the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Where is he? He's at the right hand of power. Amen. Chapter 8, verse 12. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There are blessings for fearing God, and there is judgment for not fearing God, and the difference is great, and the difference should be very real to us. And so Solomon gets to the end, and he says, you know, I've given you lessons on, the, on how to view money, and how to view relationships, and how to view labor, and how to work. But the bottom line of it all is this, fear God and keep his commandments. This is real wisdom. This is a real blessing. For God shall bring every work into judgment. Everything you've done, everything you've uh, tried to accomplish, everything you've pursued, every God's going to bring it into judgment and determine whether it's of value, any value or not. With every secret thing, we have our secret thoughts, we have our secret deeds that we think we've hidden from others, but they're not hidden from God. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows every action of your life. He knows what we say in the bedroom, and he warns us about it. He, knows, he says not to curse the king. No, not even in our thought, because we'll give an account of all of it to the Lord. Man shall be judged for every idle word, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We had a good example mentioned a little, a few minutes ago by our brother Ed about some service of love and charity done by some young ladies in our church. And it'll be remembered because it was good. But everything that we've done that was evil shall be remembered as well. I want to comfort the righteous, though. Everything that you've done that is evil shall be covered in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Covered in the blood of the Lamb. His name is in the book of life. He's totally forgiven, Father. Amen. Behold, he's one of mine. Behold, I am the children which thou hast given me. That 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if we were to have continued reading, it said, but God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Listen, I think it said, not imputing their trespasses unto them. That's what it said. Not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know what Paul got to go around preaching? Peace with God. Peace with God. You're reconciled to God. Don't you want to get to heaven now? But I'll tell you, these words are sober to those that want to live in sin. You want to play in sin? You want to be a rebel? And I hope I can make a division in this congregation so the righteous don't go home sad and the wicked don't go home confident. Do you know what warns me about that in Ecclesiastes chapter 13, verse 22? They promise the wicked life and they make the righteous sad. I want to make the righteous glad and I want to make the wicked mad. I want the wicked to never come back because we never want to see you again. If you don't love God and fear God, don't ever come back. We don't want you here. We won't miss you a bit. Our church will be better the sooner you hit the sidewalk. Right. Either love God, fear God, keep his commandments, and delight greatly in his commandments, or get out of here. But for all those of you that love the word of God, Jesus died for us. And he's at the right hand of God, and he's not going anywhere, and he's not asleep, and he's not going to be demoted, and the angels aren't going to get him out of the way, and Satan's not going to get between him and... You know where Satan is? He's cast out of that place because there's nothing to accuse you of anymore before God. Jesus made an open show of him. It just hasn't been shown to the whole world yet. Colossians 2 tells me that and comforts me greatly. 
Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Because the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. Has, the, has your faith in God caused you to change things in your life? Do you love the brethren enough to labor for them? Do you have patience to endure some difficulties because you have hope of heaven? First Thessalonians chapter 1 says, Me knowing, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. This is, I want to, I want to comfort the righteous. This is, this is a tool of the schoolmaster. There's not very much comfort there at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. But there is in the New Testament. That's why it's called the, the better covenant. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, whosoever believeth in the Son of God, shall never be ashamed. Right. Romans chapter 10. If you believe the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe the Word of God, and you fear God, and you want to keep His commandments, well, the first commandment is to believe that His Son, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Son of God, and the second commandment is to be baptized in His name. You should want to do what the eunuch did. As soon as he saw water, he said, See, here's water. I want to do. I want to follow. I want to obey. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he went on his way rejoicing. That's the first, those are the first commandments. And then we have the rest of the Bible to keep and learn the rest of our lives. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 to his apostles, Go and teach all nations, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's what the purpose of the church is for. We believe, we get baptized, we get into a church where we have the Word of God preached to us, where we read the Word of God, we learn all that Jesus Christ wants us to do. We keep His commandments. This is the duty of a Christian. Solomon ends with that. We know a little bit more than Solomon gave in Ecclesiastes because we have the wonderful privilege of being part of the 27 books of the New Testament and knowing what they teach us. Let me take a few minutes and... Address the fear of God for the comfort of your hearts. We had some young people, some young ladies, graduate recently from high school, and a brother stood up and exhorted them from Deuteronomy chapter 10. I hope you remember. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. What a great exhortation from Moses to Israel and from a brother in our church to a couple of young ladies. This is Deuteronomy 10. Moses taught it. Solomon taught it. And Paul's going to say in Hebrews chapter 12, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. It's the message of the Bible. Fear God. But it's not a fear where we go and run and hide among the trees of the garden. It's a fear where we run out and fall at his feet and beg him for forgiveness. And do you know what he does? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's not the kind of fear that makes you run away. It's the kind of fear that makes you want to run to him. Because as we just sang, and now I'm saying it for the second time, we see that God and we know that God is mine. He's my Father. But we don't want to displease Him. So we run to Him and we fall in repentance and ask Him to forgive us our folly and the sinfulness of our ways. And He forgives us. And He raises us up and He says, Fear not, my son. Go and live another day. I've paid for all your sins. Why fear the Lord? 
Solomon said it's the whole duty of man. It'd take a whole sermon. It'd take a whole sermon. Listen to a few things. Just listen to a few. Brethren, if, if, what does it mean to fear God? I don't want to read you some stuffy definition that I or anybody else wrote. To fear God is to reverence Him and delight in Him and love Him. You say, does love and fear go together? Absolutely, when it goes to our relationship with God. Yes. Haven't you ever had a good father? Haven't you ever met a good man that you wanted to follow, whether it was a boss or a, a, com- a commanding officer in the military or somewhere else? You love and fear him at the same time. Right. It's a wonderful thing to do both. Mm-hmm. Love without some fear is not a higher being at all. Fear without love is a terrifying thing. Did you hear what I read from Deuteronomy chapter 10? It had fear and love together. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, what does the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God and to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul. It's together. It's to delight in him as the creator that made you and the savior that bought you and the wonderful God and father that has adopted you as his own child. And so you don't want to displease him, but you want to keep all of his commandments and be the best son that you possibly can to bring delight and glory to him and to learn as much as you can about him and to have his favor upon your life and not his displeasure. It's a good thing. People write me all the time because of the Proverbs commentaries that mention the fear of the Lord. They don't understand the fear of the Lord. But that's what the fear of the Lord is a positive thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's, com- it's compatible with loving God. It is so close to loving God, I hardly even know how to separate the two. Right. Amen. What does it bring? Solomon said it's, this is the whole thing right here. If you really want to get a handle on life, if you really want to live the best life, if you want to have success, and if you want to maximize what God wants you to accomplish under the sun, fear God and keep his commandments. You know the Bible says that the man who fears the Lord will not want any good thing? Amen. You know the Bible says that they will have a rare and valuable possession that's a great treasure? The Bible says that they'll find riches, honor, and life by the blessing of God upon them? They'll eat of their own labor, be happy, have a good life, and be fruitful. That's Psalm 128. They'll have safety and confidence in the protection of Almighty God. They'll prolong their lives by having God extend their days. They'll have their desires fulfilled by the mercy of the God of heaven. And if you're going to get married, it's the greatest measure of a future spouse. Do they fear the Lord? Proverbs 31.30. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We start with the fact that there is a creator God who made us and who providentially rules the universe. The rest of the world, every man reasons in a circle. Every man reasons from certain presuppositions. Our presupposition is this. There is a creator God. He's the God that the Bible describes, and he wrote the Bible. That's how we start our reasoning. Do you know where they start their reasoning? Everything is a huge accident. There was some gas in the universe that exploded, and it made this world. And the slimy things wanted to become dry, and so they learned to grow up and become dry. And my grandma was a baboon, and I start reasoning from that. And if my grandma's a baboon, and the whole earth is an accident, then I can reason this way. I can do whatever I want that makes me feel happy, because I've gotten rid of a creator God. They all reason from that presupposition. Their reasoning from their presupposition leads to drunkenness, drugs, dysfunction, divorce, destruction, and violence that the earth is full of. Our presupposition leads to the happiest, balanced lives politically, 
relationally, domestically, maritally, any way you want to measure it. Right. I say that even if there isn't a heaven, and even if there isn't a God, starting from this foundation of reasoning and doing circular reasoning based on these presuppositions, I end up a whole lot better than they do. But I want to tell you something. There is a heaven, and there is a God, and He wrote the Bible. And that's where we start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't start with that foundation, what are you reasoning from? The slobber that somebody else put on a piece of paper and called it a book? Charles Darwin? Carl Sagan? Nietzsche? Marx? Engels? Lenin? Who? It's garbage. It's a lie. We start with the fear of the Lord. And from there, you can gain wisdom. Because this book is full of wisdom. The Bible says that these commandments, if you'll teach them to your children, your children's children, all the nations of the world will know that you are wise and understanding people. And that God is very close to you because of the commandments that you're keeping. But it starts right here. There's a creator God. And I... See, that's the highest motive for anyone to do good. The state is not the highest motive. Communists, uh, socialists, and others think the state's a pretty high authority. But that authority, you'll go against that authority as soon as it'll profit you. But you know what? We have the highest authority that undergirds all our decision-making, and that's the fear of God. It's a one. Abraham went into the land of the Philistines, and he said that Sarah is my sister. And when he was confronted about that later, do you know what, he, what his explanation was? Listen, when I crossed the border and it said, you're entering Philistia, he's telling us the king of, go read it. I'm telling you the truth. When I crossed the border and it said, you're entering Philistia, I said, nobody in here fears God. I'm going to have to lie about my wife. See how he reasoned? Because he didn't think there was any fear of God in the place. He got rebuked for it. They were a little better off than that, and the Lord took care of it anyway. But the fear of the Lord makes a big difference. When a man fears the Lord, you can trust him a long way. Because he's got something inside of him that motivates him to make decisions that are different than a man who lays claim to any other authority. The fear of the Lord is the best. So it's the beginning of wisdom. So much could be said about the wisdom. You know I can't preach on wisdom right now or the fear of the Lord leading to wisdom. But we've been there before. Do you remember Job 28 a few months ago on a Wednesday night? Job 28, where... The whole chapter is dedicated to men who have plumbed the earth to pull gold out of it, and they've found ore to pull silver out, and they've hunted for this and they've hunted for that. But the constant theme through Job 28 was, where is wisdom found? Where is wisdom found? And there's this long chapter that they, the men, men have done everything, but they can't find where wisdom is found. And you get to the end of the chapter, to fear God is the beginning of wisdom. And that's the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. To know that there's a holy God in heaven who's created everything and who's dictated his thoughts to us. Did you like that verse that I read in Amos chapter 4? He's given us his thoughts and his words. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's where all reasoning should begin and where it should all end. In In God is and God wrote the Bible. What does it mean to fear God? Let's, let's add a little bit to it. It means to hate sin. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Why, why is the fear of the Lord to hate evil? Because God hates evil. 
So if, you're, if you want to fear God, if you want to be a great son, if you want to love God and respect Him and delight in Him and please Him, then you're going to want to hate the things He hates. He hates evil, so we hate evil. He hates evil in thoughts. He hates evil in speech. He hates evil in deeds. He hates things that we do that he, we shouldn't do, and He hates things that we don't do that we should do. He hates evil, so we hate evil. Another verse in Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. We want to get away from it. We had read to us from Psalm 119, and I really, listen, how many times, you can't read Psalm 119 too many times. Right. Because each time you'll read it, you'll get something better. Amen. I've gone through those eight verses many times, but the verse after verse 100, the 101, I got a great blessing out of that. I have refrained my feet from every evil way. That was a great statement. I've never seen it before. I've read it a few times, but I've never seen it before. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that that I may keep thy word. That's the fear of the Lord. I don't want, and we had a great, a great exhortation and explanation of Psalm 119, those eight verses today. I want to get away from those things so that I can keep God's word. That's the fear of the Lord. Right. I don't want to do anything that would displease him. I'm going to refrain myself from that. The life of a Christian is a life of self-denial and a life of temperance. Right. Self-discipline. Not doing the things that we would like to do or the rest of the world is doing, but to do the things that God wants us to do. Because of that, Paul would say, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Because we live a life of self-denial. But... In that self-denial comes the greatest blessings. And those who have ever practiced it know it, know it, but the happiest you've ever been is when you're living the holiest. Right. When you're in sin, and you're walking in the flesh, even a little bit, and you hear somebody preach on holiness or talk about living a holy life, it sounds so boring. It sounds so difficult. It sounds so costly. But that's because you're in the flesh. When you get in the Spirit, and you're living a holy life, you then look at that man who's walking a little bit in the flesh and you say, why would he ruin his life doing that? It's your perspective. One perspective is in the spirit. One perspective is in the flesh. Amen. And you know what I've told you before? If you know that you're in the flesh, there's only one way to get out of it. If you start thinking about it and say over the next week, I want to get out of the flesh, that is the wrong approach. The right approach is to back up. The right approach is to back up. And go running at that chasm and leap over it by faith. And say, I'm going to confess my sins and I'm going to live a holy life starting now. That is the only way to do it. Because if you think about it, if you say, you know, I'm going to work on it this next week. You give the devil a week, you give him one minute. He can take you apart. He'll take you apart. And you know what else will take you apart? Your flesh will take you apart. So you get back and you run and jump with all your might. I'm going to live a holy life. You confess your, how do you jump? You confess your sins by faith and you lay hold of the word of God by faith and you dive into it and say, Lord, show me what I should change and reveal to me. Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is jumping over the chasm from the flesh to the spirit in the fear of the Lord. It's to hate sin. It's to depart from it. Abraham proved his fear of the Lord when he did what? When he offered Isaac upon the altar, you know what the angel cried out of heaven and said? Now I know that thou fearest God. 
Because we're willing to give something up for the Lord. You willing to give things up for the Lord? If you really fear the Lord, you'll give anything up for Him. Men have given their lives up. Burn me. I'll stand here. Light it. Light it. I didn't mean to yell at you. Light it. I remember as a little boy reading about 300 men in the Fox's Book of Martyrs that were told that if they wouldn't deny the Lord Jesus Christ and hail Caesar as their only God, they were going to be thrown into a boiling cauldron of oil that was there. So they went and jumped in. You know, a little boy, I'd, I'd say, Lord, I don't know if I could do that. But, you know, that's the fear of the Lord. They give up their lives. Moses gave up his reputation, his accomplishments. He was 40 years of age. He was one stud in Egypt. Do you know what Acts chapter 7 tells me, according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the mouth of Stephen? That he was mighty in word and deed in Egypt. But he gave it all up to suffer affliction with the people of God. He feared God. Abraham gave up Isaac, his beloved Isaac, at the age of 16. They delight greatly in God's commandments. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians 5.21? They get along with other people. Do you remember when I preached to you about adoption? I'm sorry that my illustrations are few and pitiful. But when, when a great God of heaven came to the orphanage of sinful men and got a few of us children out of there and paid the, paid the price at the counter with the, blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ and took us and put us in the back seat of the limo, then he regenerated us. And he gave us a new nature so that we would be like him, so that we would have the characteristics that he has. I, lo- I love the subject of adoption more than any subject in the Bible. It's the most precious subject that there is in the Bible. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Amen. He didn't just justify me. He didn't just sanctify me. He didn't just redeem me. He didn't just make a propitiation for me. He didn't just reconcile me. He adopted me. Right. And I'm his son. You know where the fear of the Lord fits in? I'm in the back seat of the limo, and he's given me a new nature. There's a couple of you back there, too. And do you know what? Before we're regenerated, we want to fight. Don't we? You know what Paul said in Titus chapter... Come on. Titus chapter 3, he said, Hateful and hating, fighting one another, foolish, living in malice and envy. Then he changes our nature. This is what he says to us. I'm trying to explain to you the fear of the Lord. I'm sorry that I go in such a roundabout way, but... Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord, Ephesians 5.21. Because you know what? Our Father in heaven likes a happy table. Right. I hate sitting, and I, ever, and I hated sitting at a table where our family was not happy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I was the cause of their unhappiness. But God doesn't want to sit at a table where their people are unhappy either. And so he says, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 5.21. I'm telling you what the fear of the Lord is. We love God so much, but the Bible says we can't love God if we don't love those that are begotten of him. So when I looked around in the back seat and and found some of you, and this is true of you too, because you saw me, and that is one difficult person to love. We looked around in the back seat, and the fear of the Lord said, God saved them, then I love them. Because if God is their father, then I'm their brother, and anything I have is theirs, and anything I can do for them, I'm going to do. That's the fear of the Lord from a different angle. 
you know how many verses there are in the Bible about the fear of the Lord? They pray a lot. What does it say about Cornelius? He was a man that feared God with all his house and prayed to God. Because he loved talking to his father in heaven. He wasn't hiding in the trees like Adam, his father. The proper fear of God is totally compatible with loving God. Do you know how you can increase it? How can you increase the fear of God? It all ties together. Because you're going to go home and read the Bible. Deuteronomy 17, 19. Listen, this is what a king was supposed to do. God told Moses 500 years before they had a king. What kind of a father knows that's going to happen? Isn't that a wonderful father? He knew they were going to demand a king, that they would not be happy with Samuel. And he told Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, 7, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. They told Moses, when you get a king, it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. The Levites are the ones that had the Bible. You couldn't go to the dollar store and buy one for a buck or five bucks or ten bucks. And so the king was to make sure he had his own personal copy. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. So if we read the word, if we read the Bible, it stirs up the fear of God inside us. It teaches the fear of God. We see how he dealt gently and tenderly with his people. We see how he dealt ferociously with his enemies. That's, that's very observable ways in which it creates, it builds fear in us. But because it satisfies the spiritual man inside of us and the spirit of God can use us, it builds the fear of God. We can increase our fear of God by reading the Word of God, which we've already learned in the first lesson this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It can be taught. Come here, my children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 34, 11. The Bible tells us we're double-minded by nature. And I used a verse earlier this morning. It's from Psalm 86 and verse 11. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Because you we're double-minded. We have two hearts. We have a heart that wants to go after the world in sin, and we have a heart that does fear the Lord by regeneration. And the two of those war. And so there's David praying, unite my heart. I don't want this conflict. I want to be settled on fearing. Unite my heart to fear thy name, is what the Bible says. The fear of God can, can be put into practice every single day in various aspects of your life. You're to work your jobs. Under what basis? When you go to work, and you work fervently from your heart for your master, you're doing it because you fear God. That is the greatest motive to be a great employee. Because then you're not dependent upon a boss treating you right to get the most out of you. You're giving him the most every single day because you fear God. Does the Bible teach that? Could I turn you to ten verses that tell us that? How about your marriage? What's the strongest way, the strongest basis, and the strongest motive to love your spouse? The fear of the Lord. That's why you want to marry a woman that fears the Lord. Listen, she ain't going to fear you after five minutes. After three days of picking up after you and realizing what terrible, nasty habits you have, she ain't going to fear you, but if she fears the Lord, she's still going to be a good wife. That's why you want a woman that fears the Lord. Listen, when you've offended her 30 minutes before bedtime and you want her to be the Shulamite in bed, there's only one way. There's only one way. And you can't buy her. It's to get a woman that fears the Lord. How about kings? 
How about when they lay on it, when we get a, when we get a president or we get a king or we get other officials and they pass legislation that are painful to us? What causes us to submit to them? Only one motive is great enough. The fear of the Lord for conscience sake. Isn't that what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2? Why we do it in Romans chapter 3? For two reasons, the sword and conscience. But you know what the greatest one is? Conscience. That's the fear of the Lord. It's the basis for everything in time and eternity. It's the love of God your Father. It's delighting in Him. It's passionately wanting to please Him. It's choosing to keep His commandments and to delight in them and to think that they're wonderful commandments and that they're grievous and that they're not grievous and that they're easy and His yoke is easy and His burden is light. It's to want to please Him. It's to get up every day and I want to be a son of God today. That's the fear of the Lord. I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to be honest in my business dealings. I'm going to be prudent in my speech. I'm going to be sober in my thinking. And all the things that the Bible teaches us. The conclusion of the whole matter. For God shall bring every work into judgment. When the world last saw Jesus, this is our Jesus. When the world last saw Jesus, they judged him guilty. When they see him next, he will judge them guilty. And the difference is going to be horrific. And justifiably so. Carnal believers and unbelievers like Jesus in a manger doing miracles or on a crucifix. But the next time they see him, he's going to be sitting on a throne. And it's going to be a throne of judgment. No one likes this subject, so you hardly ever hear about it anymore. Men dread hearing the words, you have cancer. But there are some worse words. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Paul got a chance to preach. Before Felix. An appointed governor of the Roman Empire. He called for Paul and and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Paul had an opportunity to preach the gospel to a Roman governor. And as he, that is Paul, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Why don't they ever read that passage when they're talking about their missionary programs? When the Apostle Paul had an opportunity to preach the gospel to an unconverted pagan Roman governor, do you know what he preached about? Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. He didn't preach about the love of Jesus. If he'd have preached about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, and Felix would have fallen on its knees like the Philippian jailer and said, what must I do to be saved? He'd have preached Jesus. Because that would have shown a different heart. Do you know what this heart said? Well, that's been good enough. I'll, I'll ask for you some other time. But we don't read about it any other time. Men tremble when they hear the word of God and the word of righteousness, doing what is right as defined by God, temperance, self-denial and living a moderate life, not engaging in sin, judgment to come. 
that you'll give an account of your life, Felix, to the God of heaven. When Paul stood on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, did he preach anything different? Uh-uh. God hath, made a, God hath given assurance to all men. For you Athenian philosophers that are here in Athens, God hath given assurance to all men that he's going to judge you by Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead. He, Paul didn't say, God raised Jesus from the dead to justify you from your sins. Paul said, God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that he is the judge of the quick and the dead and that he's going to judge you. But do you know what? Damaris and, what was the other guys? Dionysius. They followed Paul out of there. Can you, who would follow a man with a message like that? But do you know what comforting words they'd have got with Paul as soon as they got outside? Oh, praise the Lord for the comfort there is, even at the judgment seat of Christ. It's an elementary fact of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that those things that are the first principles of the oracles of God include judgment to come. The Lord Jesus Christ has been appointed to be that judge because God hath put all judgment into his hands. Our Lord Jesus Christ is so high, I cannot tell you, except to quote Bible verses. And that's good enough. He is so high that the Lord has put all judgment into his hands. They judged him once, but he's going to take care of the judgment the next time. And he will judge with perfect judgment and righteousness. Every word that comes out of his mouth is faithful and true. His name is faithful and true. And in righteousness, he wages war. He treads upon the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty, of the winepress, the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. But he loves his brethren. And he says, I'm not ashamed to call them brethren. Hebrews chapter 2. Do you know the whole Bible? We want to know it all. And I I do not want to make the righteous sad. You know, in John chapter 5, Jesus said that there's a day coming. Marvel not at this, that I'm able to resurrect by the power of my voice from from a state of spiritual death to a state of spiritual life. The hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Everybody is going to come out of the ground. That is one powerful judge. They can call every physical body out of the ground and make them stand before him. But in that day, our names will be found in the book of life and will be ushered into heaven. Brethren, every idle thought and every foolish and idle word is something that we ought to guard against. The Bible gives us that as an illustration of how extreme the details will be in the day when we stand before God. Lord, have mercy upon us. Cleanse our hearts and our lips and our, and our lives from every idle and foolish thought, word, and deed, that we may indeed stand before Thee that day confidently. And Heavenly Father, that we might be as the Apostle Paul, that whether present or absent, that we may labor to be accepted of Thee. We thank Thee that Thou hast made us accepted in the Beloved, but we thank Thee that through Thy Word and keeping its precepts, we can find further acceptance with Thee where You will practically be our Father and dwell with us and that we can be your sons and your daughters. Oh, Lord God, forgive us all our sins. Forgive us our sins of omission where we have not done those things we should have done when we knew that they were good and did not do them. Forgive us our sins of commission where we have done those things that your word forbids, but we went ahead anyway. Forgive us our sins of ignorance where in our slothfulness we did not know your will in a matter. 
Forgive us our sins of presumption, where we went against what we knew in your word. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Our Father in heaven, we love thee. We delight in thee. We cannot express to thee how thankful we are that you adopted us. We are your sons, and that level of love for your enemies is beyond description or understanding. But we believe it by faith because it's told us in the Bible. Forgive us for disappointing thee as thy children. And bless us, O Lord, that we will be more faithful children in the days to come and in the rest of this day. That our thoughts are the words of our lips will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Have mercy upon us, Heavenly Father. These words are sober to us. They're frightening to us knowing the weakness of our flesh the foolishness of our minds, and the depravity of our hearts. And yet we thank Thee through Jesus Christ our Lord that You have delivered us from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. And so we comfort one another. Heavenly Father, with these words, teach us to fear Thee. Unite our hearts to fear Thy name. Let us not be double-minded and have two hearts. Fill us with the love for the things above and and Thy things, and for Thee, and Thee alone. Let us reason as our brother Paul did, that he judged that that if one died for all, then all were dead. And they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and died for them and rose again. We thank thee that we have a risen Savior that sits at your right hand, who will plead our cause. He is our mediator. He is our high priest. He is our daysman. And in him we trust. Lord God, we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is truly forever, the Son of God. And we thank Thee for Him. And we pray that You will cause us to walk in His steps and that we will be new creatures as we should be, like unto Him. That if we say that we are in Christ, we will live like we are in Christ. Have mercy upon us, Heavenly Father. I don't don't know how to preach very well. The Word of God is so wonderful. What You have done for Your people is so great. The wisdom that you've conveyed to us in these precious words is so precious. By the power of the Holy Spirit, cause them to love your word, to love your son, and to fear you all the days of their lives, and never let that fear depart from their hearts. But keep it, O Lord, that we might always fear thee, and love thee, and trust thee. Take away all the fear that is an ungodly sort that the devils have toward thee and that Adam and Eve had toward thee and give us that fear that is a filial fear of a son toward a father. And we shall thank thee and praise thee through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.